Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and fine, the agency didn't send me. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I do like green glowing things. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Power transition theory. And negentropy. Today we'll be talking about N.D. Stevenson's Nimona, which is available at fine book purveyors and comic book stores everywhere, as well as digitally. But who would want to read it digitally, I ask you? Yeah, you want you want the actual pages on this one. Yeah, yeah let's talk about actual yeah. pages in a second here. First, I want to mm-hmm. tell our friends that we are going to be talking mm-hmm. about Jupiter Ascending next week, which will be a blast. We haven't had mm-hmm. we haven't had a movie like this in a while. Well, there there aren't a lot I th- of movies I think, like this. Actually. Does this qualify? I, I think it's safe to say that Jupiter Ascending qualifies as a Schlocker Awe episode. Is that you know that be what? Let's statement? do it as Schlocker Awe. Let's. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is yeah. a movie that has has definitely aged better. You know. <laughs> It got such bad reviews, and it was it seemed like such a travesty, but now it's kind of miraculous in how ah, weird and okay. I'm not going to use the word bad. I'm not going to say it's bad. <laughs> I have never seen it, so I am looking forward to this. Every time I think about it, though, I always want to do my Eddie Redmayne imitation, which is just he does this thing where he talks really soft, and then he talks loud. <laughs> That's his acting in that movie. <laughs> It's my Eddie Redmayne. The man's won an Oscar on Okay, clearly. Not for this movie. (laughs) Yes. Fair fair enough. All right. And then we're going to actually talk to Annalie Newitz. We're doing a a rare Space Nation interview with Annalie Mm -hmm. Newitz, who, trivia, I went to grad school with. Now, like a full-on SF author and Mm -hmm. has a new book out, which is called The Terraformers. And we'll be talking about that. Dan, what Mm -hmm. else is on our agenda? Beyond that, we are, I believe, going to be doing the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. Yep. And then I think The Flash. I think uh, we're going to do The Flash. I mean, we may we. It's we may possible we'll it skip that. That might be that might be reviewer dependent. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. I w- yeah. I want to yeah. tell people we're doing the Pitch Black series. We are doing the Pitch Black because it's it, we're we're going to transition to Hot Sci Fi Summer. That's right. And so we'll be doing all three. Riddick films, Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, and just Riddick. <laughs> Actually, I really hope they make a fourth one, and I hope the fourth one is called Just Riddick. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with like a shorter form of Riddick, like Dick. Our <laughs> 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 Dick, yes. <laughs> this is, the, the titles just get shorter and shorter. We are taking suggestions from people about what we should cover as well, although... Theoretically, we've actually planned out to next year, but it's all very but theoretical. We've got some ideas. We, <laughs> they, they, you know, we call audibles a lot here. And you know, one of the other ways we call audibles, Anna, is that sometimes our patrons suggest things and we actually listen to them and <laughs> think about doing them. Now, I'm not going to lie, Anna. I'm not as keen about the patrons right now because one of the things that's going on on our Discord channel is them discussing the myriad ways they would like to eat me um, after our Yellow Jackets episode. But if you, the listener... I think it was a fairly brief discussion, to be honest. Okay. Let's put it this way. If you, the listener, also wants to talk about devouring me, consider becoming a patron. (laughs) Because by becoming a patron, you're not only supporting the podcast, you get access to the Discord channel where you can... I'm half expecting by the time this is released, a separate channel is created Dan eats. eating Dan. Dan yes, recipes. exactly. Dan recipes. Yeah. Dan book. Dan book. The Dan cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a wonderful Discord. Please 
no one judge it just by that particular thread. No, no, that's actually a little bit anomalous. <laughs> and I, I think the our I think our Discord See, Discordians are delighted. I yeah. thought you were gonna say that we had our first real life IRL meetup of Discordians recently. Oh. And sure, th- yeah. some people are saying they might meet in Boston. I know. This is an interesting possibility, and I might be open to this. Going to have to check my calendar. SDNCon. It, it SDNCon could happen. That's going to be on the calendar. All right. It, so be, yeah. anyway, to be on the Discord, which is wonderful, and not mm-hmm. just about sci-fi. It's about a lot of wonderful things. Uh, people also just get on there to complain about stuff. We have a channel called Hated It. Um, mm-hmm. And we also have a channel called Day Jobs, where I've discovered some of the many interesting things our patrons do, uh, including we have someone who works at NASA, there's a toy designer, there's people that mm-hmm. work in human relations, there's people that work in conservation. It's real fun. And they love answering questions about what they do for a living, unlike me, who sometimes <laughs> lies to strangers about what I do for a living. So I'm really proud What's, of them. What? Wait a minute. I want to know what is the what is the most outlandish lie you've made about what you? No, I don't. I don't make it outlandish because I just don't want it. It's like I'm, if you're on a, okay, oh, if you're I on see. an airplane and someone asks yeah. you what you do and you say I'm a writer, uh-huh. it doesn't oh, stop yeah, there. That's true. Yeah. But if yeah, you say I'm in IT, ah, uh, you stop. It stops. Okay. Or uh, corporate insurance. Yeah, that's always a good one too. That is actually what my ex husband did, and no one asked him a second question. <laughs> I and so. <laughs> <laughs> It's, that's a horrible epitaph. For no one asked him a second question. So sometimes I just go with corporate insurance. I sell corporate okay, insurance. Fair enough. And then if you don't want to talk about it, people don't. People aren't suspicious. Whereas if I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer, and they ask me where I write, and I'm like, I'm uh, people, yeah, yeah. people. And then if I tell you, understand? But, people understand yes. the can of worms that can get opened once I start talking about But you know what, Anna? I do know one of the places you write, which is at AnnaMarieCox.com, which is one of the places- that was a great segue, Dan. That you can reach Anna. Thank you. (laughs) That you can reach Anna. Uh, We are also both available sort of on social media. Now, thanks to Anna, we are both on Blue Sky. So if you're on Blue Sky, hit us up. Where we retain uh, we are... our handles from Twitter, right? You're exactly. Dan Dresner yes, yeah. or D I'm Dresner. I'm Dan Dresner. You're Anna Marie. No, I'm Dan Dresner. Dan Dresner. I'm Anna Marie Cox. Yeah. And AnnaMarieCox.com. Exactly. I'm also on Instagram as Anna Marie Cox. I teach a writing workshop, which is on hiatus until the fall. But if you're interested, my website has more information. Dan, there's something else you do. Te- we teach. I, have a, I remember that. I, I teach, but I also have a sub stack. It's called Dresner's <gasps> World. Um, and, you know, feel feel free to subscribe to that if you're you're so interested. It's a lot of fun content, I think. Anna? Yeah. How are you? I'm doing okay, Dan. We have hit our first 100 degree days here. Oh. Uh, which seems like it, it's earlier than last year, but you know what? There's never a time where a 100 degree day feels like it should happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I am once again sort of engineering my life around just not going outside. And everyone who points out that I used to live in Minnesota, it is better to be too, it, this is better than too cold. I just, that's just who I am. Mm. Some people feel the other way. I would rather but, deal with this misery than the other misery. I will say the one summer I lived in Austin, I actually, it, the parallel to a winter in New England was striking to me because basically you just didn't go out that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there was, there was no point. Yeah. You just do, but the, the, the big difference, Dan, mm-hmm. the big difference is that yeah. you don't have to like do an hour of preparation to leave the house. This is true. 
That and that is not an insignificant benefit. I I grant that. And, you know, I always feel kind of bad when I default to weather when people ask how I am. I'm also just going to say I'm doing stuff like I, I oh I have a new column. I write for New Republic and I am now I am now a columnist for NBC.com as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the I, Muppet Kermit place. Yeah, can you see me celebrating, Dan? Yes, yes, I can. All right, I I'm can. Celebrating. Unfortunately, you can't see me because in the answer of how I'm doing, I am in Amsterdam uh, right now, which means that. Uh, <laughs> Anna, Anna it's and I not are a euphemism this. for anything. <laughs> no, no, that's not a that's not code for anything. I'm literally in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, which means that we have a technical issue in terms of of how we're recording this. We are using uh, what us in the business like to call SHW, which is shitty hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hopefully you will be hearing this, and hopefully I will sound okay, but. We make no promises, and I, I do apologize in advance for that. But I, I realize that being in Amsterdam, this is actually almost the perfect place to talk about what we're going to be talking about. That's right. We haven't talked about what we're going to be talking about yet. I don't think we mentioned it. Oh, no, we did. You right up at the top. Quickly. Right we up did. at the top. Yeah. Right yeah, at the yeah. top. Nimona. Dan, why are we talking about Nimona? Well, there's a couple of reasons on it. First of all, it's Pride Month. Yes. Um, so, and this this graphic novel, as we will talk about, has certainly some some implications for talking about that. Second, my daughter, Lauren, who is super queer, by the way, <laughs> uh, cannot cannot stress that enough. Because we were thinking about Pride Month, Anna suggested that I uh, ask her what would be the appropriate thing to read for sci-fi uh, for Pride Month. And so I texted her, which is how I do most of my communication with my daughter at this point. Um, and her immediate response was this book. And I really like making my daughter happy, Anna. So it seemed appropriate to, to do this. Also, my daughter is so smart that like she picked this and we agreed to do it. And I think unbeknownst to both of us until uh, we started reading it, Netflix is releasing a film version of this uh, at the end of this month. That is correct. Uh, and it's a, a, a long delayed project. We'll talk about that a little yeah. bit more later. And we are accidentally topical. We are very yes. rarely <laughs> on purpose topical, but every once in a while we hit a news cycle. <laughs> And I think back to when I worked at Time Magazine and how proud my editor would be if I hit actually like hit a news cycle. I, that was a big problem for me when I worked in mainstream magazines. I was uh, I was like, hey, do you want to what? Do you want? Are you think anyone's interested in this? You know, story about people who um, sell underwater bananas. I don't know. That's just a weird thing I made <laughs> up because that would be interesting. But I would just go to my editors with like random stuff, and they'd be like, well, what is it like? Is it what's in the, the cycle? Like, what's the yes, hook? Yeah. It, it's yeah. not like banana month, you know? <laughs> For people By the way, who Anna, aren't in the biz, it, it, you got to have a hook. Yes. If we form a band, I think our band name should be Accidentally Topical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, we have, I, I have a couple of good band names coming up here, actually, we'll be talking oh, about. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Dan, second question. Will yes. this podcast ruin the book if you listen to the podcast before you read the book? So my answer is, I don't think so. But that said, it's also a quick read. So maybe just read it. There are a few plot twists. There's no denying that. And so in that sense, probably maybe read the book first. But I, I would say that I think the thing about this book that struck me is that it's really about the vibe. And that's, we'll talk about that, but you're going to only get that by reading it. So what about you, Anna? What do you think? I would say if you're, Dan, how long did it take you to read this book? I think 
two hours, maybe three. Yeah. I mean, I mean, come but like on. that wasn't uh, that wasn't interrupted. Unless you're was, like driving right yeah. now. Yeah. I would recommend stopping this podcast and going to read the book. Yeah. If yeah, you're driving, you might still go listen to a different podcast and then read the book and then listen to this podcast. Or don't also, listen to the podcast. Does, by the way, just I drive. assume it doesn't. Just, yeah, just I assume. I assume it does not exist. I hope there's not an audiobook version of this because that would be horribly <laughs> wasted. This is a graphic novel. There should not be an audiobook version of this. Read the damn book. And by the way, read it physically. Get an actual copy of it. Yes. Dan, do you want to talk, do, do a sidebar about, we talked about this a little bit like offline Yeah. about how we both had a physical copy. I don't always have a physical copy. Right, right. But, but this created problems yes. for both of us because- so it, it will not surprise listeners perhaps to know it's a professor's, you know, tick, which is normally if I read something, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I will mark that fucker up. Um, I will take a pen and I will underline things and put notes and so on and so forth. The exception is graphic novels. I cannot mark up a graphic novel. It just seems wrong to me for a variety of reasons. Part of it, I think, Anna, you, you when we were talking about offline, you hit on, which is literally the paper. Yeah. It's yeah. too nice. Yeah. It's too nice. Yeah. yeah. So you dealt with it somehow, though, because you the way actually I dealt with did it, yes. produce this script. <laughs> I did. And the way I dealt with it, which is I, not, I don't nor I sometimes I do this. I'm really good. But like normally I don't. I was literally writing the script in real time in the sense of I'm reading it. And then I'm like, OK, I, I just I have to type stuff up. So like anything that I remember. And then I would keep reading and then I would add. And, and so I, it was an iterative process. How did you handle it? Um, I used Post-its. And then in a yeah, few places, smart. I used a very nice pen to just make a little Ooh. little like asterisks. Mm-hmm. Little asterisks. I felt like I needed to use a good quality pen. It's not like a fountain yeah. pen, but like a good quality pen. Right. I want to tell people, <laughs> I, only reason I stopped reading hardcover is that I moved three times in two years. And <laughs> that made me very aware. And books are heavy, Anna. Books are heavy. People might not know that. Books take yeah. up a lot of space in a moving van. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, I also figured out a way, like Kendall finally has a way of um, interacting with it that makes mm-hmm. note taking pretty easy. And yeah, I can use good. an Apple pencil. I can actually write like notes. But marking, I can't not mark up a book I'm reading. That is true. Even if it is yeah. a e-copy. So this we was, are like that. This was we, are, we, are, we are kindred in that way. That, that is true. All right. Previous experience. I think neither of us knew much about this. No, I mean, it was a first-time reader, and it was only as I was reading it, however, that I do remember this book being glued to Lauren's hip for a spell while she was reading it, and then rereading it and rereading it. So I remember vaguely her her period where she was into it, but that's it. What about you? Vague knowledge of it, just as like a person who used to read a lot of science fiction blogs back when there mm-hmm. were blogs. Remember this? This came out. There were blogs. I'm vaguely familiar yeah. with the blog concept. So I yeah. used to re- read like IO9, where Annalie Newitz used to be an editor. She was, I think she was like the editor, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm not going to mm-hmm. answer firmly. We can talk to her right. about that. Her interaction yeah. with Gawker. We both worked for Nick Denton. That's also like a weird thing about Ooh, us. <laughs> that'll be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to this. Also, it's funny. I'm actually a little insecure because she was um, a staffer at the <laughs> Marxist student publication I worked at at Berkeley. <laughs> Sorry, it was really more Gramscian. It was actually really more Gramscian. Oh, Gramscian. Well, now I get the envy. Okay. Yeah. Now it was called Bad okay. Subjects. <laughs> That's pretty good. And <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like her like critiques of ca- like she has a, a vocabulary for critiques of capitalism that like I've kind of like as a history major, like I was yeah. much more 
like, let's talk about stuff. I mean, I love critiques of capitalism. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. But there was like a lot of non-theoretical stuff for me. To well, it sounds about. like you were more of a materialist as opposed yes. to if, <laughs> exactly. if, she was, yes. if she was the Gromschian. So, you know, yeah, yes. that would make sense. Exactly. Thank you. All right. Let's get to the story behind the story. Um, Anna, it is hard to believe that this was Nate Stevenson's first graphic novel. In the immortal words of the film Say Anything, how did this happen? Dan, it started like all cool things in the early teens did. On Tumblr. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. He had a Tumblr called Ginger Hayes. Nate is a fellow redhead, a fellow ginger. And mm. uh, it started, well, actually, it started before that. started when he was in high school. Mm. And uh, it was a sort of daydream thing. It was just sort of toying with characters. Nate was assigned female at birth. And... Mm -hmm already kind of knew that wasn't working exactly. And so we had a lot of ideas about cosplaying and, and mm -hmm. working those things out. And the Nimona character was a first attempt to kind of really kind of like figure out what would be comfortable. And it is interesting that that idea was a shapeshifter. Yeah. So, I mean, was when, when he wrote this, was this supposed to be about gender or trans issues just intentionally or, or, or accidentally, so or what was going on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so it was published in 2015. And I mm -hmm. should be clear. So at first it was Tumblr, then it was a webcomic. And then mm -hmm. while he was still in art school, it got optioned by HarperCollins. It became a bestseller. Yeah. And so pretty cool career. And yeah. since he's transitioned, a lot of people have asked him that exact question, right? Mm -hmm. And he has a really funny entry on his <clears throat> Substack. She said it, everyone. She said Substack twice. This is amazing. Keep going. The Substack is called I'm Fine, I'm Fine, Just Understand, which I think is hilarious. And <laughs> it's a good. lot about yeah. mental health and coping mm. with all kinds of things. And he writes about his transition. And the most recent entry with the movie coming out is his recounting like how everyone asked him if Nimona was supposed to be about transness. And his first response was always, oh, no, like, isn't it funny that that happened? But I was really just like thinking <laughs> I was just writing a story like I just was having fun. And then he yes. goes back and goes through the correspondence that he did while he was doing <laughs> Nimona. <laughs> and there's things like he refers to Nimona and Blackheart as guys like these guys. And someone right. pipes up, oh, you know, are they how does Nimona identify? And Nate responds, oh, I was just using the term guys, just, you know, guys gender inclusive guys and yeah. then the real time nate sort of interrupts himself to go oh buddy <laughs> <laughs> i like to think that he probably said dude dude Ooh, i don't know yeah um and then there's another time where he draws nimona as like a really butch like almost like viking looking character and mm -hmm. someone pipes up with so like what's going on you know like how actually asked a question about how does nimona identify and the answer at that time was oh you know she's been a cat she's been a dragon she's always nimona and she identifies as a she for now and then <laughs> the real the real time nate goes oh buddy oh buddy. <laughs> So he has a lot of compassion for his younger self. Um, and of Spe course, people have found, I mean, it, once you see it, you can't not see it. And the mm -hmm. themes are there. And I, Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's at least one doctorate I saw with Nimona as part of the exploring transness in comics. Um, 
like field. So Which is legit impressive for a book that just came out eight years ago. Yeah. Which also gives rise to the question, what has Stevenson done since then? Well, people may be familiar with his other projects, which include She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, as well as Lumberjanes. If you are oh, if you are yes. comics adjacent. Okay. As you yes. are. Lauren Lauren loves Lumberjanes. I remember that. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think perhaps of most interest to our audience, uh, he did mm-hmm. a series, a webcomic series called The Broship of the Rings. <laughs> which <laughs> which no longer fully exists, but if you Google it, you can find it. Uh, and Ooh. it is sort of what it sounds like. It's the hipster Lord of the Rings. And I won't try to <laughs> describe everything because like nothing's really worse than trying to describe like a funny comic but i'm gonna yeah. do that worst thing right now mm-hmm. and they have these two remarkably skinny hobbits talking right mm-hmm. and one of them says to the other what do you mean you've never heard of second breakfast <laughs> <laughs> okay that's legit funny. it's really funny <laughs> good yeah good, good, good. so um Excellent. Doing still doing cool stuff, I believe is involved with the movie, which gives me some some confidence. After I started, after I finished this, I was like, "Huh, I wonder how this is going to go." You know, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. You know, we can we can always do an emergency like special uh, right. special That's version right. of like you know extra little bonus episode of it. Speaking yeah. of things emerging later, Dan. Oh, damn! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Chekhov's What's It is the thing that appears in the first act and mm-hmm. then reappears in the third act. Dan, what do you got? I have Chekhov's Anomalous Energy Device. What about you, Anna? I believe that is a very good, very literal Chekhov's What's yes. It. Yes, yes. Mine are always less literal. I think it's because you usually go first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> Mine is enough. Chekhov's Shark with Boobs. <laughs> Listeners, I wish you could see the. I, hopefully, that this will be on TikTok. Your your you know gesture <laughs> that you did when you made sharks with boobs. Well, he actually did an interview. Reading the interviews is really fun. He's clearly like a cool, cool dude. Cool dude, uh, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how the first time he saw, like someone on like a in film, like someone have a shark with boobs like out in the world (laughs) you know that he didn't draw like how how, how, like amazing that was that's fair i yeah i get that that's it's a very good joke at the very beginning of the book which we are now going to talk about man the segues they're just coming fast and furious segues we are good okay all right let's get to the jacket blurb this is you know which is what we do with with books and this is definitely a book here we go it's not easy being ballister blackheart anna Mm. You've lost an arm from a joust with Sir Ambrosius Goldenloin. Side note here for listeners, when I first wrote this and, and sent the script to Anna, she refused to believe that the name was actually Goldenloin. <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was Golden Lion, which I have to admit, from the perspective of like, you know, sort of fairy tale names, you would expect Golden Lion much more than Goldenloin, but it's that kind of book. That's what I'm trying to tell It's you. also like how, you know... Yeah. There was some gender fuckery happening. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> and I just didn't anyway. see it. As, as sometimes I may, you know, naive little little eyes refuse to see. <laughs> Fair enough. You've lost an arm from a joust with your, you know, best friend mm. at the Institutions Academy. 
when he cheated, in fact. Your villainy career seems to be in a rut. And then, out of nowhere, Nimona shows up. She is ready, willing, and eager to be Ballister's new sidekick. Lord Blackheart is skeptical at first, but Nimona's shape-shifting abilities prove quite handy. As Blackheart and Nimona get to know each other, we realize that Nimona is way more powerful than she originally let on, and that maybe the good-bad typology that defines this universe might not be properly calibrated. It turns out the institution has been doing some super shady shit with... uh, How do you pronounce this, Anna? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I now know it's pronounced Jade Root. (laughs) But... I was when I was reading the book. I thought it was really weird. This I couldn't figure out why where the where the you know nomenclature would be for Jad or Root. <laughs> like it's Dutch. That's definitely Dutch. <laughs> yeah, why would you call something Jad or Root? Especially, Jad-er-root, yeah. I thought when you have the word Jade right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners, and I'm sorry, Anna. I couldn't resist that. All it's right. Okay. Sometimes I used to say Mosiac until I was like in my twenties too. <laughs> oh, when I so the word I I am used to mangle was paradigm. I would say paradigm. Paradigm. It is a paradigm pa- sometimes. No, 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 no. I would say paradigm. <laughs> that's how bad <laughs> Sorry. it was. Sorry, much worse. <laughs> that for some reason that's like funnier because that's just yeah. Wrong. Oh, it is. It's definitely it's way wrong. It's way wrong. But like the for the like I that's how I said it in my head, and I almost said it in a class. Unfortunately, someone interrupted me and mispronounced the word, and then the professor said it and so i was i was safe you were in college before you knew that's not how you pronounced it yeah i never said i never said well we forget like i yes i also now kind of remember being introduced to the idea of a paradigm and being like oh (laughs) paradigm shift for me to know that (laughs) there was such a thing as a paradigm it's a paradigm exactly all right keep going dan after multiple encounters with nimona Blackheart becomes concerned at her powers, and the Institute's director orders Golden Loin to waste her. That turns out to be even more difficult than anyone had imagined. Instead, the Institution captures Blackheart, using him as bait to trap Nimona. This appalls Golden Loin, who is demoted for his ethical qualms. Nimona is captured, but the Institute's efforts to study her blood backfire when just that tiny piece of her is able to shapeshift into a dragon that wreaks serious havoc across the kingdom, killing both the king and the director of the Institute. Blackheart manages to free himself and uses a device from his new friend, Dr. Meredith Blitzmeyer, to defeat the dragon. It looks like the rest of Nimona died in the lab destruction, but at the hospital, Blackheart realizes that she survived. The disasters make clear the institution's really shady use of jade root, and Blackheart becomes a hero. Blackheart and Blitzmeyer found a lab together, and Goldenloin and Blackheart become closer. The end? Anna, does that about sum it up? I think so. Uh, I will note that apparently it is canon now that Golden Loin and Blackheart were more than friends back mm. at the Institute. So okay. there is that. And he is also named Golden Loin, as previously <laughs> noted. Yes. Yes. And then the only other thing that I will add is sometimes, Dan, when I'm reading for yeah. the show, uh-huh. there comes a time when in the margins where I want to write is Dan, question mark. Oh. I've said this before, and it's when I feel like I've spotted IR. <laughs> and I thought we might talk about this later. You don't have to answer it now, but he gets the people to revolt pretty easy. That was Blackheart my... does this. Yes, yeah. We will. We will talk about this later. I do want to add at this point that that Anna, the difference is that when I'm reading and I see something that's a, that I think might be a critique of capitalism, I write Anna, but with an exclamation. Point. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like so it. excited. I like it. Yes. I like that yes. a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's pretty good. I mean, there's some there is some double, triple crosses and traps and yeah. stuff, but um, yeah. it's a very straightforward book in its narrative. Yeah, I think the other thing that that changes, I think we agreed on this, is that the tone shifts considerably as the book goes mm-hmm. on. I mean, the, the book starts in an ex- sort of extremely playful, sort of impish way, much like Nimona. And, but it doesn't, and it, it actually kind of sneaks up on you. But like by the second half of the book, you realize this is a lot more serious than, you know, that, that what's going on underneath is, is a lot more serious than perhaps you had originally anticipated both about Nimona and the other characters. So that mm-hmm. I, I also particularly like. And I guess we should probably say something about the drawing, Dan. We should, which is, I'm not going to lie, when I started reading this, I was like, okay, this is not a sort of classic graphic novel in the, <laughs> the you know, Alan Moore or Frank Miller Watchmen kind of thing, um, because it, it isn't. But But I have to admit, again, the drawing, I think, also shifted a little bit as the the stakes go higher. Would that be a safe way of putting it? Yeah. It, um, it's, it's funny. Cause like I, if I had to like quickly describe it, I would say in some ways the drawing gets bolder mm-hmm. and more dramatic. Yes. That's a, that's more a great way of putting it. Aesthetically ambitious. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, you're seeing his, his drawing style develop. Like yeah. as it goes along, but it also fits the tone of the book and Nimona's tone, uh, which actually that brings us to our next question. Dan, mm-hmm. yes, how is this science fiction different from all other science fictions? So there's a couple things. First of all, in terms of the perspective of this podcast, this is the first graphic novel we've done. I believe is that correct, Anna? It is, and we definitely should do more in part yeah. because it was. Well, you know what? I have read some Alan Moore graphic mm-hmm. novels. I was about to say this was a fast read. We should not trick ourselves. Yeah, that's true. That's not true, all graphic but... novels are fast reads, but we should do no. more of them. Yes. Yeah, that's true. But I think the the way in particular that this is different is the the sort of mashup in science and magic. You know, this is both science fiction and science fantasy. Um, and it's unusual, I think, in some ways to see them combined quite like this. So that was interesting. And also the mashup of, for lack of a way of putting it, sort of like a classic fairy tale setting of a kingdom mm-hmm. and then present day media. And which again, made me realize, Oh wait, it's the Netherlands again. <laughs> uh, that is, that is kind of how I've been feeling this, this, uh, these past couple of days in, in Amsterdam. But it, I have to say one of the things about these two mashups is that it actually works on a deeper level in terms of the themes, because once you, it disorients you seeing science and magic uh, together and it causes, you know, the, at least me as the reader to think, oh, okay, well, what else might be like being subverted, which is important because this book is a serious subversion of all the sort of fantasy tropes that dominate the genre. And and in some ways, that's the at the core of the book. And at the at this level of sort of mixing science and magic, it actually succeeds in, in even further subversion. And of course, it's the subversion of gender norms as yes. well. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, the book sort of asks actually very almost explicitly, like, what is it? What is natural? Right. Right. Like, what well, is it? Tru- what is, is yeah. true nature? What is someone's yeah. true nature? Can you right. and, and how and if we know 
someone's true nature? Do we should we should we expect them to conform to our idea of their true nature? This mm-hmm. phrase, by the way, dear dear listeners, true nature is used in the book, and again, yeah. apparently, <laughs> not with a lot of conscious thought by Nate, but uh, definitely hits at you know conversations that there. we are having literally right now here today and maybe later we'll talk more about reading this while living in texas yeah that's that's fair i do want to say one more thing about how it's different but this is just a quicker way of saying what you were saying which is the good guy is not a good guy the bad guy is not a bad guy and the sidekick is not a sidekick yes that's a a good way of putting it but the other thing that's fascinating about the book is is that they're all talking about this because the the bad guy thinks he's a bad guy the good guy thinks he's a good guy the sidekick wants to be a sidekick and yet they all sort of have to struggle with the fact that maybe that's not what their identity actually is. Mm. And maybe their identity isn't just something like a thing either. Yeah. That's what if that were true? All right. Oh, Dan, there are other characters. There are, there are. So um, the characters that I liked, there was Nimona, obviously, who is just a, a force of nature. And again, like one of these things where, when you're first introduced to her, she seems sort of like a, you know, she seems like a sidekick. I mean, that's what she, she's sort of advertising herself as, um, which implies sort of impish, wise, cracky, and so on and so forth. And yet one of the, the miracles of this book is that you realize it's about her and it goes deep. And so that was, and her pain in particular becomes mm-hmm. a, a, a really powerful feature of the book. The other two characters I liked were Blackheart, who was the very epitome of lawful evil in as a yep. D&D character, uh, except as the, the, the book goes on, you realize it's way more lawful than evil. And so, you know, <laughs> so not epitome, yeah. like in the graph, he's like low on the X axis and yeah, far yeah. on the Z axis. Y axis. Yeah. Z is the other three dimensional axis, right? Which, which we're, we're not measuring right now. In no, that, no, we don't. We don't have a twenty-sided die for yeah. that. No, no. But and then also, a, a, as an academic, God knows I identified with Blitzmeyer, who was every academic ever um, in terms of just just let me do my research. I don't care about anything else. I'm not paying attention to the news and so on and so forth. And you know, yeah, I identified with that. Yeah, having been raised by an ap- academic <laughs> and, and <laughs> been in that world as well, yeah. mm-hmm. I kind of miss it sometimes. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm- it has its charms on it. That's true. Uh, I think that there could have been some more better fleshed out characters in this yeah. book. Go- Golden Loin was like underwritten, I think would be the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Um, you know, uh, and and for that matter, I would say the director. Of the Institute. Know, the Institute, who's the who's the true big bad in, in, in the end. You know, some better justifications for why the director does what, the, what he, I mean, she does. She's yeah. literally a shadowy figure. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. I don't think she's ever drawn in full light. I am assuming I think she, you're right. which maybe yeah. I shouldn't. But I, I I, wish we had more from her. I kind of wish we had more from Blitzmeyer just because yeah. she's almost pure comic relief. Yeah, and that's true. It yeah. is, it's yeah. funny. For a book that start out, starts out as whimsical as it does, like mm-hmm. towards the end, it's nice to have those notes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Comedy come through. Speaking of characters that would have been nice to be fleshed out more, like the king oh. is, it's not a character. It's like, it just at some point, 
it's referenced that the king is dead. And I was like, wait a minute, what's the, what's the, what's the power structure yes. going on here? I, Your day I started... job was calling to you there. <laughs> exactly. I, what I kept thinking was actually that Monty Python, uh, Holy Grail scene where it's like, we're an anarcho syndicalist structure, you know, like that. Um, <laughs> the rotating executive. <laughs> Well, well, you know, we'll talk more about that, Dan. We'll talk more yes. about what the power structure there was. Uh, any more characters? I don't think so. It is a slim, it is a slim book. Uh, right. There aren't a lot of characters, but I have a question about what else there might be in it, Dan. Oh, please ask away, Anna. Is there IR in this book? Anna, no one will take you seriously if you're too afraid to kill anyone, or so big murder would have you think. Which is to say that there's some IR in this book, but it's IR that is designed to, in fact, be subverted. So take that line from Nimona, for example. This is what one of the things Nimona says to Blackheart early on in the book. Um, in actual international relations, you know, my colleague Erica Chenoweth would stoutly disagree with that claim. Um, and she's got some data to back that up, showing that, in fact, nonviolent protests and nonviolent social movements are often far more successful than efforts at armed rebellion. So that's one area in which you sort of the standard expectation of the way IR is supposed to work does not actually fit with reality. The whole weapons development as deterrence logic in the book also doesn't really make any sense. So this is the the director claims that they have to sort of, you know, torture Nimona in order to figure out how she ticks so they can create a weapon in order to deter adversaries. But of course, as was pointed out in the book, they are not at war with anyone at that point. They don't appear to have any enemies. Um, And so I guarantee you that developing a weapon is a surefire way of triggering a security dilemma because it'll force all of your adversaries to say, wait, what are you doing? No, we're going to do this too. So no, that's not going to, that's not going to stand. An R&D race. Yes, exactly. An arms race. I mean, actually that's that's literally an arms race though, right? I mean, like if you're developing arms, arms, that's an arms race. Yeah, no, it's absolutely an arms race. And so that's unhealthy. But I do think the most interesting IR uh, in the book, and and this is something you referenced before, is Blackheart's uh, efforts to discredit the Institute. So the way he does this is is it turns out he learns that the Institute was, in fact, experimenting with jade root. So he manages to essentially plant poison fruit um, with the jade root and, you know, get into the population, which then leads to this media firestorm, which then leads to the uprising against the Institute. And Anna, my understanding is you found this problem. Well, number one, I would point out, like, it's a fucking false flag attack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that turns out to be true, Anna. Okay. Sometimes. Which is what everyone yeah. who does a false flag attack says. <laughs> everyone who's ever done a false flag says, Anna, sometimes you have to lie to tell the truth. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. They yeah, don't always use the word Anna, although weirdly, you'd be surprised <laughs> how often I get those calls. You would be. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I just yes. out of the blue. So funny that's a fa- it's not funny this false flag attack. Also, I want to say that you didn't. He does a non toxic like, or I guess it is toxic. He does a non fatal version of the yes. poison. Very, right, which was the first particular. Yes, he, I mean again, the, the, he is lawful evil in the sense of like he doesn't want to kill innocent civilians, and so you know he does make them sick. Not the greatest right. move, but now it, yeah. it. I mean, like I mean, there is a beautiful logic to a false flag attack, right? I mean, like manipulating mm-hmm. people that way. Yeah. That's why it's been done so often in American history. Dan, podcast for another time, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> does jet fuel melt steel? Dan, that's how oh god, uh, I'll leave it no. there. I'll just drop it there. Just oh, dropping it Jesus. there. Oh, 
but I did think that however brilliant that attack was, Mm-hmm. The people sure seem like willing to flip because he does it. So there's a scene at a jousting tournament, right? Right. And mm-hmm. people start to get sick. And basically he takes over the airwaves and does a kind of <laughs> stereo, like a little bit of a, you know, uh, you could have rolled this one out of AI speech about rebellion, right? Like, right. Or views for victory or something. Yeah. yeah. yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you, yeah, if you, yeah. if you like ask chat GBT to write a rebellious speech, like right. give you something yeah. like this, just not Nate's finest moment. That seems <laughs> his finest moment. And then people then rebel. And that seemed a little like, I don't know, as someone who likes to see people rebel, Dan, like, yeah. I didn't know. So, I, I, I maybe again, the false flags, that's why they work so well. <laughs> so why we've never here. noticed them. First of all, I have to admit the way you were describing it, I realized that essentially the the revolution starts because some there was a poisoning at a Renaissance fair on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> if only it were that simple. If only if it were that simple, so that you know, but not exactly. Poisonings true. happen at Ren fairs all the time. I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I those mutton legs can't be can't be good for them. Those <laughs> not legs. a lot of hygiene. <laughs> no. Like, no. I don't think the food safety department's doing a, doing real stringent checks at the Renaissance. Yeah, there's a whole other discussion about like what's actually like valid or Renaissance fair when we're getting way off topic. So okay. I'm going to leave yes. that to, to one side. But the way I would put it is that what there are two ways to think about this. The first is if I'm doing the work for the book, you could argue that since the institute was doing a whole bunch of super shady shit, it's not surprising perhaps that the population was primed to to rise up um you know there are instances in which it might seem like an an autocratic leader is in charge and indeed it it might seem like the population is okay with it but secretly they're all seething and if there is some particular like spark that causes everyone to go out to the streets that can cause i don't know the berlin wall to fall and things like that so that's possible okay touche berlin wall Yes, I went there. But I will say this, really what Blackheart is doing with this is not causing people to, it should not have caused people to necessarily go out to the streets so much as cause a massive erosion of trust yes. in the Institute. And that's not great for the Institute, but it also doesn't automatically lead to, you know, uh, uprisings. Or, God forbid, it leads to uprisings that wind up being, you know, horrible like January the 6th. I will say it is definitely true that Blackheart becoming a hero in the aftermath of the attack may not have happened without that, you know, push of the erosion of trust that happens because he does Mm -hmm. the false flag attack. I continue calling it that. There you go. The end. Fair enough. Fair enough. But this gives rise to a different question that I actually have to ask you on. Oh, Dan, what is it? Is there a critique of capitalism in this graphic novel? Dan, we assumed that capitalism was an economic system disguised as a monster but it's really a monster disguised as an economics. <laughs> Anna, I have to say of the, of the, of the responses you have crafted during all of these episodes, this one might be one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's interesting to me. <laughs> Just yeah, I know. bookmark that for later. <laughs> yeah, 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 Given yeah. our various positions on the whole capitalism thing. True. I actually don't have a bunch here on this. I, I did think about, because this, this book is so much about subverting norms and assumptions, mm-hmm. I did think about how, you know, in a, like in a lot of fiction and in the world, the lack of a description of something means we assume it is like what we always have seen, right? <laughs> that is heteronormativity, for instance. Right, yes. Perhaps there's such a thing as capitalism normativity. 
So mm. when a system Econo is not described, yeah. So when an economic normativity, uh, mm -hmm. so when a system is not described, we just assume that it's the same system that we're used to. And I, yeah. I, I confess, I read Nimona and just assumed that there was some sort of capitalist system ha happening there. And I could kind of do a critique of that system. Apparently, there's obviously some big flaws in whatever mm -hmm. system is going to produce something like the Institute, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, different economic systems can produce the same kinds of flaws. So perhaps there is something else happening in this kingdom that we do not know the name of. Uh, I think that's true. Also, I got to say, the Institute is not really an economic creation. I mean, no. that, that's more on the politics side of things. So I agree. And I'm saying like, I mean, depends on who's getting those defense contracts, Dan. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if we really wanted to dig into it. No, the math... <laughs> The magic industrial complex is something that we're going to have to talk about at some point, and that's a fair point. Yeah, okay. there does seem to be some kind of universal employment plan, obviously, yeah. with mm -hmm. you know some agency somewhere sending Nimona to be a sidekick, and yeah. obviously there is a very generous funding of scientific research and development because apparently that is also something that people can do just all day long. That's just a good policy, Anna. It is good policy. I think it makes good policy even in a capitalist society, but right, it's funny. It doesn't actually serve capitalism in the way that late stage capitalism wants to be served. So we don't do it. Let's move on a little bit. I'm going to bring the tone down. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned before, I read this graphic novel here in my home in Texas. Um, where last legislative session, it was it became illegal to uh, provide gender affirming care to trans kids. Mm hmm. And I'm going to get surprisingly emotional about, maybe not surprisingly. Mm. Um, you know, people are leaving the state as they should. Mm. Uh, I'm consider myself very lucky uh, to not have kids. Well, I'm considering myself lucky to not have kids for a lot of reasons, but it is grim. It's a it's yeah. a grim time for parents of kids who are different, um, mm -hmm. and uh, for different for many maybe a variety of reasons, but who just don't read the way that society expects them to be read. And that's one of the reasons I, and I kind of identify in that I'm not necessarily, and I haven't necessarily been what society wants me to be. And I've, I've been things that um, are deemed to be bad and monstrous. You know, I'm an alcoholic, mm. I'm an addict, I have bipolar disorder. I do know the feeling of like the thing that you are being depicted as monstrous. Mm -hmm. And that's what, something that Nimona talks about in the book. Yeah. And so for those kinds of reasons, both the atmosphere that I'm reading it in and my ability to identify with Nimona, at least on that, that level, I found the scene where she basically goes on a rampage and, I meant mm -hmm. to say this earlier. One of the things that's interesting about the book, about the way the tone changes, is that when she kills people at the beginning of the book, it's kind of like, haha, comic book killing. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like an MCU kill. Right. It becomes, the stakes get real. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, you start to realize, oh, no, no, this is, like, people care. <laughs> like, this is, we're not supposed to read this as MCU death. Right. No, it's not. It's an emotional shift. There's definitely an emotional shift that happens during the book where you realize, no, 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 no we're not. We're no longer talking about this. We're talking about something else. And yeah. yeah. That's yeah. And there, it's a very affecting scene where you know, Blackheart is trying to tell her that I don't think you're a monster. And she's arguing, no, I am. This, you know, right. I am a monster and I do want to be this way. It's, a, it's that 
it's the reflecting back at society, the violence that people have done to you, right? Yeah. Because we see mm -hmm. a little bit of, of Nimona's backstory in a flashback. And she has a story that a lot of kids who ever felt different would relate to. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. heightened for yep. the purposes of a comic book, but or graphic mm -hmm. novel. And it did make me, and, and the fact that Stevenson doesn't shy away from that violence, like kind of forces us to see Nimona doing that violence and mm. still love her. Mm -hmm. Reminded me of something that I think we often forget in Pride Month, which is that we have Pride Month in June because that's when the Stonewall riots were. Mm -hmm. You know this. I know you don't forget, but no. I think some people do. <laughs> yeah. That. The proper like pride display is not a store window filled with merchandise, but a store window broken with a brick, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because that's what they did at Stonewall is they threw bricks. And that's what that community needed to do, which is a trans community also. That is another thing that people sometimes kind of don't know about pride is that the Stonewall riots, um, it was a gay bar, but the mm -hmm. specific, you know, lock crackdown was on trans trans women. Yeah. Right. So I am, you know, I don't like to cry when <laughs> I read a book. Uh, and I don't necessarily enjoy thinking about the violence that's been visited upon the people who are like people that I love. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's a pretty powerful moment in this novel. And I'm, I'm glad to have it put before me to remember... Pride. The, the way I would put that, Anna, is that like there. How do how do I put this? There there are ways that you can cry in a in a book where that are almost like like exploitative or you know like it, it, there are easy ways to do it. This doesn't take the easy way to do it. Um, I would say it goes deep and and you know to the extent that you might tear up if you're reading Nimona's sort of self loathing almost um, mm -hmm. you know at times it's earned. Um, and so, yeah, on that, that point, I would definitely agree with you. The last thing I will say about this is, as we said, my daughter Lauren recommended this to me. And um, she is uh, both rather queer. She's also on the autism spectrum. Um, she is, as, as you said before, on a, a different child in, in some ways. And I think I perhaps understand her a little bit better than I did before reading this book. Um, and I understand the parallels between her and Nimona. Not that my daughter can shapeshift, but... Um, <laughs> well, all young women have a certain degree of shapeshifting. That's fair, yes. But my Well, let's put it this way. My daughter, A, has that same sort of impish sense of humor as, as Nimona. And the potential rage at the heart of <laughs> Nimona. I've occasionally seen that with my daughter. But one of the nice things about watching her grow up is is watching that rage, you know, stay mostly holstered and instead be expressed as joy. And uh, I guess the way I would put it is that I'm very happy that my daughter lives in a world that is not quite as cruel to her as uh, that world is cruel to the moment. And that's the only thing you can ask for as a parent. Dan, I'm glad that you helped create that world for her. Oh, it was mostly my wife, but I <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to get all emotional about what a good dad you yeah. are, but apparently you're just average. I'm average. I'm okay. <laughs> Perhaps even trending to bad, as we know on the Discord, where you're yes. the absent father. The absent father who will be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's that noise? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
some sort of magic device. Yeah. It's an anomalous. It's an anomalous sonic device. Anomalous sonic uh, things. Discordant. Discordant. It's time for Discordant Notes. This is when we take a question uh, about what we're talking about from the Discord and answer it in the podcast. And this question is from Shugoff. What theme slash story beats does Stevenson get to explore with the mashup of genres that we've talked about uh, previously in this podcast, which is a great question. I have two thoughts on the answer. The first is that one of the things I really like is, is this novel actually explores some of these sort of real world consequences of what are sort of basic genre elements. So one of the things I legitimately loved was the fact that the bank heist that Nimona and, and Blackheart engage in leads to a bank run, which you never see in, in, in standard sci-fi or, or even science fantasy. And I, I just, I actually, I, that was the one time I think I laughed out loud reading this book. Um, I really, I really did like that. And the other deep thing is in some ways the, the sort of deeper exploration of how genre, you know, can impose constraints on individuals, how it really winds up causing them to constrict their own identity in ways that are actually not true to themselves. And we see this most obviously with, with Blackheart and Golden Lion, uh, particularly Blackheart, who thinks, oh, okay, I've followed this narrative arc. I must be a villain. I will do the villainy things. But it's very clear his heart's not in it. And he's not really a villain. And like, you know, he he has to be freed from that construct, uh, much in the same way that Nimona has to be freed from the, the sort of sidekick construct as well. I don't have anything very deep to add, except I always like being reminded that to a certain degree, science is magic. Uh, uh -oh. That there are these things that we do that seem like magic or would have seemed like magic. I mean, it's cliche, but like <laughs> seeing yes. Blackheart invent his own phone at one point, like he does like a phone potion. Ah, he, like, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Reminds us like this stuff. Yeah, all of this had to be invented. Like all of this had to come from somewhere, which maybe actually is a deeper observation yep. than I realized. Because that's one of the things that the book explores, right? Is mm -hmm. all of this has to come from somewhere. Like people create the systems that we live in. They create the things that we live in. They have a source. Yeah. It's not just like, yeah. Oop, you know, hey, the phone appears, you know. Or, and even with magic, someone has to create it. Oh, it's money raining from the sky, Dan. Dan, it's money from that bank heist. You hear it? Golden gold it's... raining down. That's going to hurt. It's going to hurt somebody. Is the debris field? Are we talking mm -hmm. about the stuff we haven't already gotten to talk about? Yep. I'll be honest, Dan. It's a short book. We've talked for a little bit. I don't know how much I have. What do you got? I don't have a ton. I've got, well, one thing, I, I suppose, I've got two things, I think. The first is one of the things I did like about the, the book is that it really does sort of jump right into the story rather than having a ton of world building. It's just like Nimona pops up and, you know, says, hi, I'm doing this for you. And like, it, 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 it almost felt like I was reading it starting at page 40 rather than at page four. And so that was, I suppose, intriguing. I uh, I got my phone potion in. Uh, I think the drawing is like I, we've talked about before. The drawing kind of it doesn't just grow on you; it kind of changes. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. Don't mark up a graphic novel. Anything yeah, else? Yeah. I have I have one last thing, Anna, and this is important. Um, Lauren, I love you very very much, and I'm so proud that you recommended this to me because it's a great book to read. And as I said, I think I kind of understand you a little more from having read it. So. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, Dan. Oh.
Thank you, Anna. Happy Father's Day to your dad as well. And until next time. Keep this channel open for more.